Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. I just left because I was working, you know, around the clock and there was just no way that I could work till 4 a.m. and then do a startup. It just was impossible. So I had to just leave and do it. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Radha Kapoor, Head of Venture Partnerships at ClearCo. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and your feedback means so much to us. Make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review. All right, everyone, this is a special kickoff to season two. We had a jam-packed season one, and I'm so excited for all of our guests and stories and learning that we're going to get in season two. I wanted to bring Radha onto the show to talk about the notion of culture and capital. I keep hearing from founders that they're concerned about access, access to capital, access to resources. So I'm excited for us to have Radha kick us off for season two. Radha Kapoor leads venture partnerships for ClearCo Bank. Previously, she led partnerships for First Republic Bank's tech and venture efforts, worked at Techstars, and founded a consumer tech startup in the fashion space, Look Lab, the web's most influential stylist community, according to Huffington Post and the Business of Fashion. Look Lab was voted Best of Digital 2014 by InStyle Magazine. Radha started her career as a corporate lawyer at Skadden Arps in New York. She's originally from London, UK, but spent an amazing decade and a half in New York City before joining me and all of us over in sunny California. She even held a spot on the Democratic Voter Protection Team for President Joe Biden. Radha, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so excited that we're kicking off season two with you. Um, I know it's going to be an amazing conversation. And you and I literally met um, last year as we were launching our Brain Trust Founder Studio. And you immediately jumped in. ClearCo and everyone has just been so amazing. So I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off season two than you and everything that that you've done. So welcome. Thanks so much, Kendra. I'm so excited to be to be on with you. It's it's really such an honor. Well, and we have so much to talk about. So I first want to talk about you and your journey. And it's so funny because I I, um, worked at Ralph Lauren and I had such a fond love of 
fashion and all things. And you started as a corporate lawyer, created a fashion app, worked at First Republic Bank. It's just amazing. So tell us about your journey and how you were able to weave tech and fashion and finance and legal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a really uh, kind of uh, unique and, and, you know, unusual journey, I would say. So I'm originally from London, the UK, and I came over uh, after doing my, um, you know, initial like undergrad law degree in, in, in London to do a master's in the US. And so I did that, um, you know, was in Boston, love New York, used to go there every weekend. So the first opportunity moved to New York, started working at a big Wall Street firm, and did that for many years. Uh, I think I always knew that I wanted to do something more creative and more on the business side. Um, and I had always actually loved fashion. Um, and coincidentally, the law firm that I worked at was in the same building as Condé Nast. So there were two companies uh, in Four Times Square. There was uh, us, the law firm, that I won't name, and then Condé Nast. So you kind of knew immediately who worked where when they came through the revolving doors. <laughs> and that was kind of my dream. I was like, oh my God, if I could do something in fashion eventually. And because we worked such long hours, um, you know, always shopped online. Now this is like a while ago. And at that time, you know, online shopping was really just beginning. Every website kind of looked the same. Um, you know, it was just page after page of SKUs. So I thought if I ever get to start my own business, I want to try and make that experience much more fun and social. So that's ultimately what I did. So we started um, a consumer tech business in New York in the fashion space where we built out a whole community of fashion stylists from all over the world who would connect with online shoppers and help them put together outfits for occasions. So like a wedding in the Bahamas or, you know, a new interview, like work outfit for an interview. And um, yeah, so that was completely awesome. Did that for a few years. Then I worked at other startups in kind of BD and, and business development and partnerships. Um, then I worked at a tech accelerator, so working with early stage founders, helping them to really figure out what their businesses were going to look like, helping them with fundraising, helping them with developing their product, connecting with corporates. Then I ended up moving actually to the West Coast. So I was in Palo Alto. Yeah, finally made it over to the West Coast after a decade and a half in New York, had gone back to London for a bit after that. And yeah, was at First Republic Bank. Um, I wasn't a banker per se. I was working on in our tech and venture team on partnerships. So thinking again about, you know, founders and how can we help them with not only receiving access to capital, but all the other kind of products and tools that they need at those early stages to kind of scale their businesses. Um, and yeah, most recently have, you know, been at Clearco, uh, which, you know, I know that we'll talk more about um, um, later. But, it, but again, it really all about, you know, what are the different ways that, you know, we can put founders first and help founders and founders of all types, you know, not just your kind of typical Silicon Valley male. So, yeah, I mean, the journey has been very atypical. And I mean, something where, now that I look back on it, I think the various things along the way, like I've been able to pull from each of the things that I've learned and kind of tie it up and, and, and it sort of culminated in this role. 
It's so it's so fascinating because they say a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So <laughs> there is a bit of that, definitely. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's great because it, it. I love your story because you know we talk a lot about founders and the journey and how we can provide support. And you've really done it and you've been a founder yourself. And I think that it helps because there's so many people who have such good intentions, but whenever you've been through the journey with a co-founder as a solo founder and really understand how to navigate, I think that it gives you a different level of compassion and empathy for the founder journey. And then it always stays so close to you that no matter what you're doing or what role or what industry, you intuitively want to provide that support, or most of us do. <laughs> so talk about, you know, and I love this because you talk about um, working with early stage founders, and so many of our founders are just trying to figure out what to do. So what were some of the things, especially in that role, that you could share with these early stage founders who are just starting out, who are trying to figure out how do I even look at seed capital? How do I get seed capital? And I think aside from that, that you mentioned, how do I understand the resources that I even need to prepare my business for seed capital? Can you share a bit there? You know, I would say that it has gotten a lot, um, you know, the environment has improved for early stage founders. Kind of when I was doing it, it was really just, you were just kind of out there on your own with with zero support, with very little in the way of resources. But I think the one thing that has remained consistent through that time and has now really you know, developed and, and is just so much more helpful are accelerators and founder studios. And I know you know all about that. But um, if you're a, you know, a, a first time founder who's navigating you know, uh, a new industry or um, uh, you know, because I mean, there's there's a, there's so many different kind of paths that you can take, right? You can be working in an industry um, and then launch a business in the, in that industry. So you kind of already have that network, you have the allies, you you have the sort of um, you know uh, corporate partners at your fingertips, you know, and you can kind of call on them if you want to put in partnership deals and so on. So. That was something that I didn't have because when I launched my company in the fashion space, like I didn't, I really didn't know that many people. I didn't have a network in fashion. So that does make it a lot tougher. What is really great now is that there are accelerators and founder studios that are focused on specific verticals, right? So you can definitely, you know, apply to those um, and, you know, then you kind of are put through that whole system and they will facilitate a lot of those connections with, you know, for you. Now, when it comes to, um, again, getting access to seed capital or angel capital, accelerators can help you a lot with that. Um, I think, you know, your angel networks um, can, can help. So, you know, if you're in your kind of local ecosystem, there are lots of angel networks in New York, there's lots in LA and, you know, all over. I think the local places are a great place to start. And then, of course, now we've got our new, you know, um, uh, sources of capital, alternative sources of capital, such as um, Clearco, but I know we'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot to kind of unpack in terms of being ready to, to raise capital. What I will say is that 
start as soon as possible and start having conversations early with investors that you know. And maybe you don't want to approach the one investor that you really ultimately want to invest in your business for the first meeting. It's kind of a process. So you kind of want to start practicing, you'll get feedback, you'll start learning, you'll start iterating and kind of, you know, streamlining and kind of, you know, refining your process. So that's definitely kind of one of the tips. The other big thing I would say is that don't take every piece of feedback as gospel because other, you know, you will be so confused by the end of it. So you will have to, over time, pick and choose the feedback that you get. So don't keep chopping and changing your business because five people that week told you you should go in a different direction. Like stick to your guns and your vision. Oh my gosh, stick to your guns and your vision. So it's so funny because everything that you said resonated so well with me personally and I know with our founders. I know one of the first times we were fundraising, we had this investor that we loved and we went to them first and we were not ready. And it was hard to go back. And that was something that I always learned to like, it's okay to have practice rounds, like to really take the time, go through your list, you know, tear them out. Like, who do you really want? Who are others? Who can you practice on? And it's not going to ruin your relationship. It's also not going to spread through the investor circles that you weren't ready. But that's a great tip. And I think the other thing too, is people can talk so much to so many people that they get further and further away from the vision and the goal because they're trying to iterate on everyone else's vision. And I think there's this notion of listening. You have to listen. You have to be able to receive feedback on your business. But then you also have to make sure that it doesn't become a group think to the point where you've wound yourself up and you can't get back because so many founders lose so much time just in that. So I love... I love those tips. Like, don't take every bit of feedback as gospel. <laughs> and I want to circle around too to even this this notion of, you know, you brought up a good point that you weren't in fashion, and so your network was much smaller. And everyone talks about network, network, network. What inspired you, or like? What was that where you said, I'm going to leave what I know and what I'm trained in, and I'm going to not only be an entrepreneur, but I'm going to go into fashion? Because so many times we have founders who they call and they're, they're working in these jobs and they're doing their, their projects on the side. And then they have this moment where it's like, I have to leave. Like, this is it. I have to leave. It's time to make that, that leap. But to your point, a lot of times they're staying in their industry you went into something else. What was that moment when you knew it was time or the courage to, to leap? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I thought long and hard about kind of what I wanted to do. And ultimately, it was really came down to like, what is an industry that, re- that really excites me and that I'm kind of passionate about? And I know that's pretty cliche, Um, But I think it's also kind of what I was surrounded with, right? Having spent, you know, 10 years in Manhattan, like it's just that's kind of what you, especially at that time. I mean, now we have like this huge kind of, you know, um, 
uh, like D2C brands in, in everything in New York. But at that time, it really was kind of disrupting the industries that were already existing. So a lot of startups launching in the fashion space, a lot of startups launching in media, right? So, and I'm talking about, you know, 2011 here. So it was a while ago. So I think it was more like, um, you know, I am a lawyer. I, you know, I, I have a reasonable network, but I don't really have a network in any of these cool things. So whichever way I cut it, like I'm going to have to build it, you know, while I'm building my startup. So it was, I think it was more just, um, I didn't have a choice and I was also naive, you know, I mean, I have now the benefit of like having done this and gone through it and I can look back and I can kind of tell people that, if you don't have a pre-existing network in the industry and business you want to build, you can still do it, but it is going to be extremely challenging and hard. And you really, I mean, again, like another, you know, you are kind of building the plane while you're flying it in so many different ways because you're learning about the startup world, you're learning about technology, and then you're kind of, you know, growing these networks at the same time. So you're going to be very busy <laughs> and very sleep deprived. Yeah. Did you um, did you stop practicing completely when you started building or was there kind of this moment of overlap? No, I I just left because I was working, you know, around the clock. I mean, I was like and there was just no way that I could work, you know, till 4 a.m. and then do a startup. It just it was a bit it was impossible. So I had to just leave and do it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so. I love it. I have to just leave and do it. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, from a funding perspective, you know, because I remember Look Lab, I'm really close with a few um, like celebrity stylists and they're always talking about like, I, you know, I want to do something, I want to do something. And one of them was talking about um, Look Lab and she's been in the business for a long time. So when you, you, you decided to leave, you started a new venture in a different industry. Did you self-fund? Did you have to raise money? You, you know, your outcomes were amazing, but how did you even, how, how did you have the ability to leave and just start a new company? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had, you know, saved up a certain, I mean, I, you know, it, it ultimately definitely wasn't enough. Like it was a real kind of, you know, challenge, but there was, I had given myself enough runway that I could do it for a while. Um, and then we did ultimately end up raising, you know, angel capital. Um, so then that definitely, you know, gave us kind of obviously uh, more cushion and more runway. Um, I would say that, you know, the, the other for people and there are so many people that go from, you know, the corporate world or the finance world to doing startups is that you kind of your challenges are reversed. You go from having, you know, not having to worry financially, but being so poor when it comes to time to the complete opposite of suddenly having this expansive time, especially in the when you're just getting started to being so kind of um, like financially just you know like that becomes the big challenge then it's like how do I manage you know my own personal finances how do I manage the you know the company budget so it's a huge adjustment I think it's I agree and I was talking to a founder on the other day about that same thing in terms of you can take the leap of faith but it's a different mental um, kind of function that you're now working on because you you do have time you can control it you can you can set your own day to a certain extent 
um, but you don't have the cushion of knowing like where your income is going to come from and that that becomes such a different mental strain even as you're building the company and i i like to talk about i say i have a mindset of an entrepreneur and entrepreneur because entrepreneurs are building things within the infrastructure as we know of a company and then entrepreneurs are kind of on their own and it takes a different type of person to build anything on their own, but the nuances of what happens between an entrepreneur and the infrastructure and not, I think I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. Um, and you've lived both worlds. And I think that's a really good segue to even talk about ClearCo because you've been corporate, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been an entrepreneur, um, and you really are building something so amazing at ClearCo. And I just, I thank you guys so much because when I said I'm doing Founder Studio, when we talked about it, it's so aligned with your personal passion and you've gone above and beyond. So talk to us. Um, ClearCo is the world's largest e-commerce investor and growth platform. Um, talk about the founders, the financial um, support that you're providing, the tools, the capital, the networking, and why you felt like ClearCo was the best place to be now. Yeah. I mean, you know, ClearCo is is... Well, I think what was most appealing to me is that it's been built by founders for founders. So Michelle Romano, who is, uh, it's a Canadian fintech, first of all. So Michelle um, is on the uh, Canadian uh, version of Shark Tank, which is Dragon's Den. She's the youngest ever judge. Uh, she's, you know, phenomenal. Again, female entrepreneur. Um, you know, and this is really um, her and the co-founder's vision, right? That to provide um, capital, to or very easy access to capital to founders who are you know building their own um, uh, you know consumer businesses. So I think that was what like I just got the you know super excited about. I think it's also the fact that when it comes to the access and and um, analysis of what you know how much capital can be offered to the companies, it's all data driven, powered by AI. So there's no kind of bias in that process, right? So if you go to a bank or you go to a, other traditional sources of capital, you are kind of having multiple meetings with people. They are meeting you in person. You can apply for capital at ClearCo and never talk to another human being if you don't want to. Of course, we have amazing people that are there to support you. But yeah, and, and now we have gotten to a point where we've, funded 6,000 founders, and that's about $3.2 billion uh, globally, because we're, we're not just in the US and Canada, we're also in um, Australia, in the UK, in the Netherlands, and, and expanding. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's just such an amazing um, business. And I think it's really all about, you don't have to be in New York, you don't have to be in LA or San Francisco to get access to be capital, to access to capital. You know, you can be in anywhere, right? In the country, uh, you can be working from home in a small town and you can still get, you know, capital within, literally we can do it in as little as 24 hours. So I just love that. I mean, what, yeah, what could be better than that? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I know. What could be better than that? I mean, and I didn't realize 6,000 founders, 3.2 billion globally. I mean, it it's so important and it's so impactful. 
And to your point, we think about like when I started my first company, um, Digital Brand Architects in 2009, similar in New York, similar to you, you know, we're in the same time frame. All of these things didn't exist, even the ability to network online. Like when we started DBA, there was no Pinterest, there was no YouTube, there Instagram, like all these new ways of communicating. And then when you think about financing and having to be in a major city or having to get to San Francisco and and now the fact that within 24 hours you can be funded where it makes sense for your business it's it's amazing and i i think too like the other thing is helping founders understand that clearco exists and understand what they need to prepare themselves cuz so much of it is how do i even one how do i find out about this and how do I tap into it? And how are you looking at that? Like, how are you overcoming those? If it's a barrier that you're seeing, um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, that actually, you know, is is uh, part of my, my role here at ClearCo. So it's really, you know, how do, so I, you know, focus on partnerships, particularly in the venture space. So um, it's really all about, you know, how do we work with our partners to educate um, you know, founders that there is this new source of capital now that isn't a bank loan and it's not traditional equity provided by a VC. Um, but I think also it's, it's so, you know, we're doing a lot around that. You know, we're definitely on the ground now in New York. I, you know, we're, we're doing events, we're doing workshops, we're working with accelerators. We really want to kind of make sure that people, you know, understand like, properly kind of the nuances of, of you know what we're doing um, and I think you know it, it takes time but I think you know we have such great kind of feedback from our founders and such great success stories now that people are getting to to you know learn about kind of what what our kind of growth capital can provide in terms of and specifically really you know our capital is used for um, marketing spend and inventory management. So that's really kind of what we uh, see most of our founders using our capital for. So really helps people ramp up their growth um, and then use whatever other sources of capital they may be raising in the future for, you know, hiring and kind of expansion and development of new products and and uh, that kind of thing. So, you know, you can use our you know, cheaper capital for these repeatable parts of your business, like buying, you know, Facebook and Google and Instagram ads. Which is, is truly, you know, that's one of the biggest um, hurdles for founders is understanding the marketing piece and really trying to prove to an investor why you have such a big line item in your budget on marketing. Um, and so it's a great, I think, area to focus on because you can have the best products, but if you're not marketing and telling people about it, then it's harder to grow. You know, and our focus is getting founders to profitability and sustainability as quickly as possible. And when you talk about, you know, especially for our listeners, you, you call it cheaper capital and then you talk about bank loans and equity. So if you could just kind of break down the difference for everyone, we've talked a lot about debt, debt equity, especially when you're looking at inventory um, and what that looks like. So if you could give a quick soundbite on the difference, just so everyone understands. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
So typically, if, if revenue-based financing, the way that it works is we take a percentage of your daily revenues to from directly from your bank account to repay our capital advance. And we have, um, you know, it's a standard 6% fee. In certain situations, it can go a little bit higher, but it would never exceed 12%. Um, and for marketing, it's always a 6%. So, you know, if you... So that's a flat 6% fee. So now if you were taking a bank loan, you know, you would be repaying kind of based on an annual, you know, annual interest rate, kind of a periodic repayment. Typically bank account, bank loans are secured, right? So you might have to provide certain collateral to secure that. It's also just very, very difficult for startups to get bank loans. You know, when you get to a certain stage, a certain kind of, you know, uh, revenue, you will definitely be eligible for, for bank loans. But at the early stages, uh, it's tougher now. For us, we can fund, if you have a minimum of $10,000 in revenue a month, we can provide capital, anything from you know 10000 all the way up to $10 million. Um, so that's how you know we compare to, to, to bank loans. Also, I mean, just in terms of timing, it takes a long time to get approved for a bank loan, right? You're not going to get it in 24 hours. Um, now, if, sometimes people ask about, you know, working capital line of credit that you might get from your bank. I mean, yes, sometimes startups can be, you know, eligible for those, but they will look at your financials, your historic um, financials, whereas ClearCo will advance you capital based on your projections for the future. Yes. So that's kind of the diff the difference there. Now with equity, you know, uh, the obvious difference is you give up, you know, a share in your company, you may end up with, you know, investors that will sit on your board of directors. And of course, that can be a great thing, because they can be very helpful, and they can give you advice and guidance, they've seen it all a million times before. Um, but that may not be a good fit for you when you're kind of at the earlier stages of building your business. Um, equally, equity, you know, to do an equity round, it definitely takes longer than 24 to 48 hours, although some VCs can move, move very, very quickly. Um, so, you know, we, we sort of say that equity is, especially if you're going to spend it on, you know, marketing dollars is, is a much more expensive source of capital. With that all said, a lot of our companies, you know, take ClearCo finance, ClearCo capital, and then are much sooner than they otherwise would be ready to raise an equity round. So, so it can get you to your, you know, next round of capital much sooner, which is the, the really cool part of that. And it also means that companies that just wouldn't have really been a fit or catching the eye of VCs suddenly do. So we have a lot of, you know, seen a lot of examples of that, which, which is, you know, really awesome. So, so, you know, we work alongside all these other types of capital as well. I, I, I've had the benefit of working with a founder, working with the team um, to go through the ClearCo process. And it is, it's amazing. It's, it's so seamless. Like it is like for, for those of us who have, you know, had to go the traditional route of investing and trying to get lines of credit. It is it is truly innovative and game changing for founders. The amount of founders that I talk to that are just in tears because they've spent months and months in diligence and then the investor has pulled out or a term sheet is delayed another six months 
And that's how businesses are not even able to move forward. They're trying so hard to go these traditional routes. And I love that it becomes a gateway, right? Because at all different stages of your business, you need different things. And so if I can get working capital or capital to help me with marketing and show the growth in my business, reduce my cost of acquisition for customers, all these things that marketing can help do, raise my revenues, then to your point, you're, you may be at a better place down the road to have traditional funding. And even from a personal perspective, I mean, I'm a Chase private client. I've been with them forever. I run my businesses through them. And I, I think they're amazing. And they are a phenomenal partner for our founders and the mentorship and the business banking. But I couldn't get a, a line of credit for them from them for my new company because we just didn't have anything there to match what a traditional bank would do. And they've been supportive and helpful in other ways, but that's why I always say, let's not get discouraged as founders, let's figure out alternate sources. And the more that we can give awareness for alternate sources and show that you can still continue, especially for inventory-based companies that need inventory to run their e-commerce, to grow, to do marketing, um, it's it's just phenomenal. So thank you for that because I wanted I wanted you to really break it down so people understand. We get so caught up in I need to get an investor and and I'm going to give away equity and it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And what are you what are you kind of thinking on the horizon in terms of advancing Clearco's mission? and the work that you're doing and how you're even looking at founders in particular founders of color yeah you know it's a great question so what you know what i also want to mention that um you know our wider mission is you know we want to invest in a million founders all around the world right now in order to do that yes of course we provide this you know easy access to capital we also provide um an insights and benchmarking tool which is by the way, completely free. You don't have to be our customer taking our capital to get access to that. You just need to connect your payment accounts and your ad accounts and you will see literally like 20 different insights on your business, such as, you know, your return on ad spend and your, you know, return rates and your average order values. I mean, there's, you know, like 15 of these or um, over different time periods. So, and there, if you're... an if you're benchmarking, you know, against other um, uh, companies in your industry and your cohort, if you're kind of, you know, under par, we'll actually make suggestions as to how you can, you know, improve those metrics. And we can even connect you to, you know, agencies and providers that can, then other partners that can help with that. So, so I think this is all part of the wider mission of like, how do we, you know, how do we truly help founders? We also have a valuation tool. I think companies, founders get asked all the time, like how, what is the value, you know, how do you value your business? And people don't really know where to start, you know, so we can actually give you a range. So that, again, is it's massive. So I think, you know, it's just all these kind of tools kind of coming together to provide this, you know, real support system for founders. And, and let's not forget, a lot of founders are solo founders, right? They're just on their own and they don't have that support system to kind of bounce ideas, get advice. And we want to be able to, you know, fill in those gaps too. Now, the one amazing thing, like when we get to talking about, talking, you know, about uh, female founders and founders of, of color is that because our process is so data driven, 
we've actually, you know, invested in seven times more women than uh, traditional sources of capital, which is astounding. And actually, 50% of our customers are female, which is like mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and when it comes to um, you know BIPOC founders, uh, we have nine times more of those than you would see in tradition than you know you would see in traditional venture capital. So that is something we're just super proud of, and it just shows what you can do when you take all of the kind of biases around you know what do you look like where do you live where did you go to school you know where did you grow up who are your parents like you know who is your network when you take all of that out of the equation this is kind of what you get to and that's something that that is really our wider mission to continue that and grow that and all over the world i mean not just you know in the us and canada wow wow those numbers are astounding like i literally i have goosebumps thinking about that and the difference and the impact. And, you know, we've, we've talked so much in terms of racism and classism and sexism, and you see it so, so, so deeply when it comes to investing and startups. And so to remove bias and to say, it's gonna be about the business, not about the person or the family or where you came from or who do you know, but it truly is based upon the business. like. It's, it's exciting, seven times, nine times, 50%. I'm like, it gives me, it just, it makes me smile. And I'm also excited because we're working on something that you brought us into, uh, myself, the founders at Founder Studio called Clearco Pitch. And it's one thing to provide the platform and accessibility for founders, but you guys are also giving grants to founders and really helping with all of the tools and the network. So we have Clearco Pitch um, coming up on February 17th. So everyone listening, make sure that you tune in to Clearco's YouTube page, but talk a little bit about that. And um, I know that you have a great team, Tori, who really spearheads that. And, you know, why did you as a collective organization decide to look at a Clearco Pitch as another way to support founders? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, uh, I mean, you know, I feel like Tori is really the brainchild and she's just done a phenomenal job um, coming up with, with Clear Pitch and executing it like just kind of perfectly. Um, it, I think the idea there was that we really wanted to give um, founders from, again, you know, you're, you're sitting in your house in Ken, somewhere in Kentucky. We wanted to give you the opportunity to pitch your business to you know this massive audience like we live stream it on all our social channels you know youtube linkedin everywhere um and and also it's just uh, i think it's it's kind of great coaching and practice for for founders because we actually will you know spend a bit of time with our finalists helping them kind of get ready um and we get you know hundreds of applications for these we have three finalists um you know they do their 10 minute pitches we have a three judges um, and they uh, we yeah we it's actually a very emotional experience because you know a lot of times again it's kind of comes back to being a solo founder uh, you know or 
even if you have a partner, you're just very alone and you've never really had the opportunity to bounce ideas off of people. And suddenly here you are and you're talking to this big audience and you're getting some, you know, questions from judges. And it's just, it's very, very, it's very emotional. And it's very exciting. I mean, when people, when the, normally our winners, I mean, it is just, it's a very heartwarming moment to see our winners get, uh, and, and it's also very supportive. I mean, I've seen like, the other two finalists are just like, it's, you know, kind of like so happy for whoever kind of gets to that point. But yeah, we, in terms of the prize pool, there is typically a cash prize pool. There's also products and services again, like, you know, because we want to help you along with your journey. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's great visibility and it's just a, just an awesome experience. And of course, you know, Michelle is a, a dragon, right? So there is a bit of that, like with this whole format. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you have the best there and, and I'm so excited. I'm judging um, the February 17th along with two of our board members for Founder Studio, um, Debbie Perlman, who's the president and CEO of Revlon, and Chindima Asonye, who has also been on the podcast, and she is the COO of Espy Serena. So the three of us are so excited to be part of this and to support the mission. And Brain Trust Founder Studio is giving a free uh, year-long membership to um, to the three finalists. So I'm again, I just... I couldn't be like more honored and grateful for the work that you're doing. You know, my, my platform is all about supporting founders, giving them mentorship and education and really community. And so whenever you find like-minded people in the world um, who want the same things, it's, it just warms my heart. So thank you for including us in that. Um, and I wanted to go back to something. Um, we've been talking about finance and equity and all the things that we need, but from a you as a person and also the impact that you're making, I was reading that you were part of Joe Biden's voter protection team. And I had to really be like, what is this? So for those of you that don't know, the voter protection team, um, it's a team of volunteers and attorneys, and they basically work through election day to ensure that voters really everywhere have the ability to fairly and equally exercise their right to vote. And you're, you're really um, a protector of the vote. And with everything that's going on, like it just makes me so emotional when we think about the rights of people to vote and how um, we as a country have been so divided. And so how did you, how did you start doing this? I mean, you're, you're building companies, you're doing all these things, and then you're part of a voter protection team. What was that experience like? Um, yeah, no, it was phenomenal. I actually, and I'm totally going to date myself now, but I was, I also worked on uh, the Obama team back in the day in New York. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it was, again, it was just a privilege to be involved. It was, uh, you know, super smart uh, group of attorneys all over the world working, uh, sorry, all over the country working remotely. Um, you know, what we were focused on is poll watchers. So I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of people may not know, but there are designated poll watchers outside every polling booth that, um, uh, you know, kind of... Um, answer questions are there to make sure that nothing is happening that shouldn't be happening. Um, so we were working on the kind of, you know, selecting 
poll watchers, but also making sure that they were kind of stationed everywhere that we needed them to be and there was adequate coverage and, and also that we didn't have any... Um, uh, uh, th- that process getting kind of disrupted or hacked by external uh, <laughs> people posing to be poll watchers, yeah, who were actually, you know, for exactly from opposing, let's just say opposing forces, yeah, yeah. So um, I just, uh, I, I, I knew a few people, I was looking for a way to get involved. This is before I joined Clearco and I had, you know, the time, but more than anything, I mean, I obviously I just really wanted to see the, the Democratic Party succeed um, at that point. So it's like anything I can do. And, you know, attorneys are always kind of very helpful when it comes to <laughs> elections and, and, and setting things up and, you know, making sure things go smoothly. So, yeah, that w- it was. And of course, with everything that's going on now, I mean, just shows like how uh, necessary all of that is. And and I want to be clear, like the same thing happens on the Republican side. It, you know, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Uh, Wow. It's, it's so, it's so interesting because we're always trying to figure out different ways to get involved. And when I read that, I was like, wow, talk about taking an expertise and using it for good in a way that actually protects and on both sides, um, you know, the, the, the constitution (laughs) and America, like it goes so deep and to commit your time and to volunteer. I, I honestly um, don't do anything without lawyers now. I learned a valuable lesson in my first company. I feel like attorneys are like, um, this is probably inappropriate, but you know, when everyone, everyone was like dating photographers, like it was like all the Instagrammers were like, I need a photographer boyfriend. I feel like now it's, you want someone who's like in manufacturing or you want an attorney as your partner to get deals done. That's the new hot thing, but anyways. I'll get us back on track. Um, so Radha, I just, I, I had to bring that up because with everything that, that you're doing, you know, and to also do your part to help support the fabric of America, it's just amazing. And you are just fantastic. I'm so excited for our monthly um, jam sessions because already we've come up with so many great things together. So thank you for that. Um, and before we close out, I always ask our guests, What's one brand that you're excited about, that you're coveting, um, that you want to share? And it can be multiple, but we love to spread the love here. Uh, these are, th- are these sort of new up and coming brands or are they just my like my favorite kind of? Your favorites. And it can be your, oh. we have lots of favorites. So it can be. Yeah. I actually really love Charlotte Tilbury. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I, I I mean it's you know it's it's British. I love their branding and packaging and I have my actually have it right here. My favorite walk of shame lipstick <laughs> that I will never be without. Yeah. Now I'm I'm uh, and I love actually it's a totally separate point but rose gold. So I'm just always drawn to anything rose gold. So yeah. That is like <laughs> Charlotte Tilbury, I also um, co-founded and co-chaired a nonprofit, Beauty United, and Charlotte Tilbury, they're one of our donors and partners, and they're actually doing some really amazing things for Black History Month, so be on the lookout um, for what they have planned, but they've really made a big commitment to BIPOC diversity, um, and their Black History Month plans are going to be really exciting for everyone, so that's a great one, Charlotte Tilbury. (laughs) 
<laughs> and for those of us in LA, we can go to the Grove and see the new store or, or anything. So that's a great one. Um, Radha, I am just so grateful that we came into each other's lives, that we can do good together, that we can support founders and the mission of really helping them succeed. And I'm so excited for Clear Pitch on February 17th with you and your team. And just thank you for the work that you're doing and that you continue to do. It, it means so much. This was so amazing, Kendra. Thanks so much for the opportunity to come on here and speak with you. Like, I loved it. It was so great. And every week, I like to share an influencer I'm checking out. So make sure, thank you, Radha, to follow ClearCo. And that is at Get ClearCo. There's some amazing content that they share, um, in particular, the ultimate guide to e-commerce funding. So make sure that you check out at Get ClearCo. And as always... We like to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is don't take every bit of feedback as gospel. Stick to your guns and your vision. So make sure that as you're building your businesses that you definitely get feedback, you think through that feedback, but ultimately you don't take every bit of feedback as gospel. So follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from you. Leave a rating, leave a review, and make sure to join us next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.